Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units Podcast. I'm James McSorley and I'm wondering what constitutes an acceptable or good quality podcast intro. I'm joined by Mark, as always, and he's probably wondering the same thing because he's let me do this twice in a row. Mark, how's it going? Yo, yo, yo. Not bad, thank you. I've got, um, I think, something to thank you for, and it's that you are less rash than the Milwaukee Bucks ownership and you haven't fired me halfway into my first season on bench units. That's no problem. I don't think either of us has the ability to fire the other one. Uh, <laughs> and if if we did, it would definitely be you being like, this guy's unreliable, let's get rid of him. Um, say that as I'm, I'm like... I think my own reliability stretches to the fact that I'm somewhere between three and ten minutes late to recording every episode without fail. But that's actually kind of reliable in itself. Yeah, that's reliable in itself. And I just disappear for two months every year. So like <laughs> um well, glad to get a break from you. So I certainly wouldn't want to want a co-host who is any more available. And so is everyone else. Um <laughs> but yeah, so as we've kind of spoken about the last couple of weeks, I think the plan is sort of talk a little more about the games that were close and or good, uh, talk a little bit less about teams winning by 75 and stuff. Like, we kind of, that's cool, but we'll get into that. 75 was an oddly specific figure. Are you alluding to something there? Uh, yeah, well, no, that actually happened this week. It's I just, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't know if we, yeah, I don't know. So we're going to, there's a handful of games we want to talk about this week in Spain and Germany, and because we want to spend a bit of time talking about Everything that's kind of come out from the uh, AOZ qualifiers and therefore the repassage spots and also the fact that Eurocup's coming up next week. So we kind of want to push a bit of more time into that. So we will, I think there's two games in Spain that we deemed good crack and one in Germany. And yeah, should we, should we get going? Before we start, have you ever said good crack on this podcast before? That felt like you were trying to thro- throw a bone to any Irish listeners. No, I said it and immediately went, oh, that's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, running off the edges. No, I think it's probably just because I had a, I, I had an Irish class this morning. Um, right. So I, I, thought, just in a, I was in a Zoom call with like 30 people from Belfast, so maybe it's rubbed off on me. See, the, the way you um, timed that. You were like, because I had a, and then I saw you reach and just the edge of that glass of water you're drinking from, but I thought you were going to be like, because I had a Guinness right as we hit record. Because I had a pint. No, no Guinnesses <laughs> at home. Um, also, it's 3.30. Yeah, that's an exception. I say that as if I haven't been drunk at this time in my life. <laughs> um, right. Should we get to it? All right. Game one. Uh, game one is Violet 63. Malaga 57. So this was a surprise, and then I saw that Sandoval wasn't playing for Malaga, and it all made sense. Yep. <laughs> it's like it, it should have been, in, like, they probably should have had enough anyway, but generally the blueprint for Vidalid to kind of play up a notch, I would have thought, would have been like Yelmer and or Adrian Perez having big games. and. Um, sort of Malaga losing their biggest like purely inside presence would have made a difference in that way but also Raddy Dag I mean a 23 it's the thing of like we spoke about him getting here didn't we and it was like yeah you know like it's another guy that can sort of create on the perimeter and do a bit more of that and 
there you go it came good yeah th- this was kind of um this was like the classic nba thing where you have teams with very like ball dominant players and you always hear some analysis being like yeah they need to you know they need to bring in a pure point guard to help set the table for their guys and it, i always roll my eyes at that and i'm like oh by pure point guard to set the table do you mean someone to dribble the ball from the inbound up to the three-point line and then hand it to the player who is running the offense anyway yeah um, hey you don't need that unless your team's set up to need that yeah. but i would argue that violently kind of are like they were when you consider uh, when you consider that they've had uh maxi ruggieri who is very like old school typical point guard yeah. um it makes a lot of sense when you like i've only really sort of Cross those two things over when you went right they've had the same sort of inside guys same sort of bigs for a handful of years now and then maxi ruggieri's gone and now they've brought in like a a pretty mobile small two five it's like oh yeah there you go that makes a lot of sense yeah it really does that vital it uh for if nothing else they're a team who stick to the blueprint of whatever they believe works at the moment because they went through I think in their pre-Perez going away to Illunion for a year, they ran that three big that was like Lalo, Perez, and then they just swapped out the ball handling like perimeter shooting big every season. And it was like, uh, whichever four or five they could get. Yeah. Like whichever like, ball handling four or five they could get from like Dan Highcock all the way through. Like <laughs> Yeah, it was like Dan, Dimitri Tange, Alan Doron. Um, Paddy is uh, there's somebody else in there as well, but oh, um, and then they had Carol, Romo and stuff last Carol year. George as well. Um, oh yeah, they um, weird. <laughs> what a yeah, weird group. It's, it's such a strange mix. Um, but yeah, I thought the Dagerman thing. Obviously, they're without Paddy Azar and um, what's the other guy's name? Ami Reza, who um have been at the AOZs, but they were able to get enough perimeter shot creation that both. Yelma and Adrian Perez are able to have double digit points on not the greatest efficiency in the world. Perez eight of thirteen, Yelma six of fifteen. But I would say watching the game, those guys took very convincing attempts, which I don't know has been true for a lot of the season. There's been a lot of like end of shot clock. Can we get it to Yelma on you know, a a 12-foot mismatch over somebody who's like six and a half inches shorter than him. So it's like a mismatch in technical terms, but maybe not enough to really be deemed a good shot. Um, And yeah, man, Dagerman was obviously in last week. I can't remember who they played last week, but they squeaked by there with just enough outside shots made. And yeah, he was just firing this game. And he's sitting a little bit differently to what we saw at Porto Torres last year. So he's a little bit higher up and he's less I maybe it's an unfair comparison because when I watched them watch Portoras the most last year was at Euro Cup where it was like you guys, Illunion and Turingen take him yeah. out. But he was liable last year to like dribble off a pick and just get swallowed up by whatever big was kind of playing the two on one. Um or if they helped hard enough he'd like have to turn back out and run it again. And it didn't feel like that was happening in this game. Um yeah. Obviously, Salvador not being there for Malaga might have had an impact on that, but you can only play the iteration of the team that is there to play you. And I think if you'd have asked me pre this game happening whether uh, Malaga without Salvador would have pulled out a win against this Vardalid team, 
I'd have said you finally probably would have needed one of Hadiazar and Amareza present, if not both, to nick this one. But they yeah. did it without either of their arenas, man. It certainly gives them some. I still don't love their lineup options going forward, but you've got to. You can't feel worse after this one for sure. Yeah, it's the thing of like you're looking at this team and they're kind of slowly putting it together as the pieces show up one by one, and it's like. Is Hadizar going to get here before Copa del Rey? And are they going to make Copa del Rey? Because uh, that's still a thing that's up in the air, apparently. I don't know when their um, when their uh, game that they need to make up is. But um, yeah, no one wants to play a team that you feel pretty good about beating with Hadizar. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, it's like I remember talking to someone about playing Iran and... It's just like you have to play 40 minutes with like, hey, what if they just make absolutely mad stuff for a full game? Like, yeah, like he's one of those guys where it's like, okay, like you can do everything you want and everything you need to. And then sometimes he's just going to make it. And sometimes that can go for a full game. So it's like, how much can you afford to sell out to stop a guy like that as a team? Like, can you just double someone for a full game? Um, It's going to be interesting when he shows up and I hope it's soon I hope it's soon because yeah, like we don't I, play them until the end of the season so like I'm gonna we're gonna see him anyway if we played him next week I'd hope he'd come the week after but I imagine it will be pretty soon because well for no other reason than Amirezo is already there for a handful of games pre um Christmas and going away to the AOZ right so I don't imagine he's gonna then be like right I'm just off i'll catch you guys in a bit like i imagine he'll be rushing back there um and if you've got one guy finishing the aozs with iran and the other guy who's meant to be coming along he's probably not going to hang around too much longer i would have thought yeah um, i wonder if it's like um amadi's gonna get him like he's gone <laughs> to the tournament and he's like hey come with me man like, don't worry <laughs> like I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go get him for god's sake <laughs> yeah no that was actually vital. It had to like pay somebody off to bump someone off the roster for um, the Iranian men's team so they could sneak their guy on and be like, hey, don't let this guy out of your sight when you get to the airport. Okay. Um, yeah. Like you get to the airport and you just like the whole team turns right and you you and him turn left. You're like, hey, see you later. No, we're over here. No, no, trust me. <laughs> no, I can only assume that you're, we're at the business end of the season. I like to have Euro Cup next week. And. Um, we know they don't because they're hosting. Um, so they don't have Europe Cup next week. Sorry, they have Copa del Rey at the end of the month. So I imagine he'll be here soon. You would hope so. Um, shall we talk Malaga very briefly? I don't know if there's a huge amount to be gleaned from their performance. Um, other than even with John McNamara now present and playing a good chunk of minutes. They are very much lacking for an inside presence. I think we talked about McNamara pre-Christmas and he obviously has a role in this team in kind of getting inside and finishing in like the Jens Albrecht mold. But He's a little small, but yeah. yeah it's, um, it's, but it's, I, I like him, man. Like, I was watching him play yeah, when yeah. we were there a couple of weeks ago and I was like, this guy, I don't know who this guy is, but he has been to college in America. Like the way he moves his chair and shoots the ball. I was like, I don't know if he's American, but this guy can... This guy can play. He's also Jonathan McNamara is the most Irish name in the whole league, which is funny <laughs> to me. Um, like I'm probably third on the list now that there's a Patrick Anderson and a 
Jonathan McNamara, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. But that is a, one of our niche All Star Fives waiting to happen. Irish name All Star Five. Yeah. Oh, but, I'm I'm trying to but, think what else I've got. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get um we'll have to get some submissions I think from um from listeners. It'll probably if... only be American fellas and the English lads, like realistically. Um, yeah, there must be a couple Aussies whose names have Irish roots. But by, by oh, well, shoot. yeah, CJ McCarthy was here last year. Like <laughs> that's an Irish name, I think. Um, yeah. a lot of those names, like an Irish person or a Scottish person, will claim them depending on what suits you. And it suits me for it to be Irish. But yeah, um, Irish surname All Star Five is really funny. Um, considering mine's probably Scottish apparently as well. But, yeah. but um, um, yeah, this is just you look at this and it's like normally. Well, like I get to 60-ish between Kyle, Esparza, and Sandoval. And Kyle and uh, Esparza together got to 40. So it's like, there you go. <laughs> like, That's a, that is the best possible simple analysis of this game. Um, yeah, you have three guys that get you to 60. One of them was missing and the other two got you to 40. So they did their job. But it's just... It's hard to ask someone to step up into certain spots. It's like you can ask someone to step up and take a few more shots from the perimeter or this, that, and the other, but like, there's no one who is the size of Belvedere Sandoval there, so you can't you can't ask someone to be bigger than they are or whatever. No, you're right. Um, I think the knock-on effects, well, if you want to be really simple about it, like week to week, is Abdi had 17 against you guys, and a bunch of the shots he made were off of Salvador's screens because you guys were worried about getting cut inside and Salvador finishing off and then as soon as Salvador's out of the picture Abdi is down to four points on five shots um, so the knock-on effect of not having the inside presence means that jumping the shooter becomes something you can afford to do in a much more aggressive fashion yeah uh, a lot of their perimeter guys apart from Esparza being a 4-5 like a lot of their perimeter scorers like that protection from a guy going inside really makes a difference Cool. And it's not even like the it's the physical screen, but it's also the like mental barrier of like, oh, can I jump? And then you're like half a second late to a shooter, and like Kyle and Abdi don't need very long to get the shot up. I'm gonna swoop in here and point out that Espasa is a four and not a four five, so that when Mendel corrects us, he's only coming for you and not me. Okay, thanks, Mendel. <laughs> Have you anything else on this game, or shall we move to our other Spanish game of intrigue? Uh, what I would say in general, uh, Malaga and Gran Canaria, spoiler alert, both losing is pretty good news for us and or Mercia. Mm-hmm. In terms of that, like, four to five to six to seven. I mean, yeah. three, four, five, six, not four, five, six, seven. Um, yeah. yeah. Not only both losing, but both losing teams below them in the standings really has a... Um... It certainly upset. It certainly outweighs any upsets over higher seeded teams that they might score, like have scored already or score down the line. Because you know the loss drags you down, and you're, suddenly your head to head is that much more important points wise. And yeah, it's yeah because there was there was a world in which because we beat Malaga, Malaga beat Mercia, Mercia beat us, and I thought there might have been a three way tie type situation potentially, but then these two guys dropping another game in a weekend like unless we drop one that we shouldn't it's pretty good for us yeah yeah definitely you did, guys, Mercia, you... did Mercia drop a weird one or did I make that up 
Uh, I think they did, but I can't remember. I would have to go back and check. It certainly feels... Well, no, the weird one they dropped was Malaga. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, And you guys lost to Mercia by one, didn't you? And you've not played them again yet. No. Yeah. 40, 84, 83. Uh, Yeah, I haven't played them since. But yeah, talking about uh, losing a close game. Grand Canaria, 62. Madiba, 64. So... Would you like me to really oversimplify this and then we can talk about it and it kind of feel like there was no point? Uh, yeah, you can do. I would just like to, before you get into any of the specifics of this, I would like to brand this as the no, we've got the more fast-breaking French guy battle. Ah, uh, yes. I do love like Enzo Trabuchet's come to this league and I didn't really watch a whole lot of the French league last year compared to Spain, but it's like, hey, yeah, I'm just going to, like I might get ten points off breakaways every week. Don't worry about it. He he plays and teams react to him leaking out early on the fast break as if nobody's ever thought of it before. And it's like the the, the reality is it's like gone full circle where everyone used to do it all the time, and then people realized it was like a rebounding hazard and scaled it way back. And now he's like, oh, the rest of my team's. Like it's become such an accepted thing that you don't just fly away recklessly. That he's like, hey, nobody's expecting me to do this, and therefore probably aren't diving for offensive rebounds they don't think they're going to get. So I can just break away now. It is weird because I still just don't like. I think it's probably still worth doing more than people do. Like I don't know if you yeah. give up. Like you're one on zero versus five on four. Like the the odds are still in your favor in terms of what a free breakaway layup is worth versus the probability of you giving up an offensive board. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're entirely right, especially, like I say, when teams are not really looking for it anymore. Yeah. Like Teams are way less focused on sending everybody to offensive rebound because they're just not expecting guys to break away. Yeah. Uh, okay, would you like to hear what what I think happened in this game? Very much. That's Grand Canaria's starters were plus 20. <laughs> um, Bastico <laughs> files out, uh, gets in foul trouble earlier, comes back in, files out, and the subs kind of bury them because they're missing two players. Yeah. But yeah, if your starters are plus 20 and you lose a game, it's it's foul trouble is your issue, is what I would say. Because I would, um, yeah, like that is that is so boring, but it's like, and these stats that we have open don't, I don't have the, the plus minus, but it was, I think it was like, because Arena was plus 20, Basti yeah. was plus 21, or vice versa. No, it was because Arena yeah, plus 21, Basti plus 20, or something like that. And it's plus like, Arena plus 20, uh, Basti plus 18, and then Salazar, Ramone, and David Hernandez, who, Presumably, we're out there for all of the game around minus the two. Yeah, mi- minus two, minus two, minus four, and then there are two guys who got minutes off the bench, which is Raúl Vega and I can never remember the other guy's name. Yaisen Ojeda. Yeah, um, they played eighteen minutes and nineteen seconds each, and they were each minus twenty. Yeah, it's tough, man. Like you're normally that first lineup is your second lineup and then you bring in Raul who plays good minutes for them all the time but uh, Yaisen who's sort of a young more inexperienced guy isn't probably like he's not meant to be on the floor 18 minutes a game like I'm sure he's not used to it Um, you're asking a lot of him and yeah yeah. 
a lot of the time he was out there as well. You're obviously out there with Ramonet, um, who with KD still not back for reasons I, at least I'm not aware of. I don't know about you. Um, I have no idea. We're playing them this week, so I'd love to know. But um, but yeah, uh, with KD and Garrett Austin Trip not around, they're a little bit thin. And those guys, Raul's had a decent run with Gran Canarias being able to knock down weak side shots. And you have to think if KD was around to play some of the minutes that she has been playing and force the defense's hand to the extent that she has been doing all season, you have to think Raul would have been more able to play his ideal role. I don't really know enough about Yosen to know his game in and out, but yeah, you have to imagine having the offensive hierarchy of if they could have got those guys in there with both KD and Ramane, KD being a slightly more um, self-sufficient offensive threat than Salazar. You have to imagine that those guys might have slotted into place a bit easier, but this is how these things go, man. And I, I first time round only watched this game up until halftime and it was Gran Canaria, but I 12 points I think and I was like oh this one's over and then I only saw the final score as I was making sure I had all the stats collected for all the games and I was like wait what happened here um but yeah Gran Canaria win the first half by 12 and Mediva win the second half by 14 including going 16 to 10 in the fourth quarter um and also Enzo Trapachet who made a living off breakaway layups gets a wide open like elbow catching I say wide open David was on his way out but I think that's considering the shot clock and the time of the game like I don't know if you can let him have that I don't know if you can be late to jump that like I think if you're if you're out there early and he dribbles you're probably fine I don't like yeah like I feel like if you go around that like if you jump that and the guy who's on the screen I don't even remember who it was if they go inside you can send help because like I don't know, say you help over from one of the sidelines and they throw a pass to whoever's open. I think the time the ball takes to get there, you can probably, I don't know. Like, I, well, I don't know. Was, I just don't know if I like someone catching and shooting and that being the game winner and you not having anything else to say about it. Also, crucially against, if I'm defending Madiba on a game-deciding possession, in any lineup they're rolling out, they have three guys out there that I don't care if they shoot or not. Yeah, you're like, hey, you got the ball out of John Hernandez's hands. That's cool. Yeah, you take the ball away from John as first priority, take the ball away from Enzo as second priority. Everything else gets some way towards putting some pressure on them and live with the result. Even, I have a lot of respect for Carlos Ocasio as a player, but he had two points in this game. Like if, if the guy with two points on one of five shooting wants to take the game deciding shot, I can live with that as long as I'm not completely just sitting still watching him shoot it. But yeah. to let their second option and a guy who'd shot 70% throughout the game up to that point take the, a relatively uncontested shot to win the game was just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> I don't know how else to boil it down. But um, shout out to Medea, man. This is their, their biggest win. I can remember them bagging for a couple of seasons now, at least. Yeah, shout out to them. Uh not a, not a great deal more on this, I don't think. Um, no, I don't think so. Grand Canaria, it's obviously one you didn't want to land in the loss column and really shouldn't have done. But yeah, I mean, they'll. I don't think Grand Canaria will be coming away from this one asking fundamental questions of themselves. They're probably just saying, hey, we'll get our guys back and then we'll 
roll on into um, Euro Cup. I mean, if they don't have Katie and uh, Ostertrug back in time for Euro Cup, then what are they even doing <laughs> heading to Camp But uh... Yeah, they, they are going to have a, a, a rough go of it without their full squad, but uh, anyone would, I guess. Like, Yeah, that, we'll get to it in a little bit, but that group is hectic. Yeah, um, that's going to be fun. There's some appointment viewing there. And when I say appointment viewing, I mean, if I have a game, <laughs> I'll still be watching it. Like, I have my phone in my pocket. I won't. It'll be the, I won't. The repeat... Disclaimer, I don't mean that. It'll be the repeat version of when you were um, threatening to abandon your own game last season so you could go and watch the Cane versus San Stefano. And it was like 24, 23 at halftime because they'd just hit each other with rocks the entire game. I love a rock fight so much, though. Like, I, it's my favorite thing. Like, I love two teams that are like, we have the speed advantage, we should press this team. And the other team is like, ah, these guys are slow as hell. We can press them. And you're like, what are, what are you saying? Two teams pressing each other is just so funny to me. Like, I love... I also love the idea that you say you love a rock fight, despite the fact that you, um, the other thing you claim you love on a weekly basis is guys who take exorbitant numbers of shots. <laughs> it's like, so, so what you love is high volume of missed shots. I love the margins. Like, I love weird stuff. <laughs> I love stuff that you don't see typically. Um, I like guys with two shooting sleeves and a headband, like a, <laughs> guys that take 30 shots. This was, this was a, a description of Cano Martinez, if ever there was one. Um, That's so funny, I didn't even mean that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in many rock fights. Um, right, should we go to Germany? All right, yeah, so mostly sort of blowouts in Germany. This week I say blowouts, like 20s, 30s. Yeah. Um, the game that kind of interested me the most, having watched them back, was Cologne... 69, Munsterland, 63. Cologne kind of continued to just confound me. Like, I still <laughs> don't really... Munsterland have just had a really tough season, haven't they? Like, I don't... Yeah. I think it's like, they have a really tough season, and then Julian Lammering is like, pre-contract signed for Landil. So they're going to have a real rough time of it next year. Like They're already having a pretty grim season, and if they don't go down this year, they're probably going to go down after that. That, that one was that one was twisted. We didn't get to talk about it because it happened over the Christmas break, but um, and we didn't talk about that game last week, but that was like twisting the knife in the season they've had. Was it? it was Christmas, him being like, oh, by the way, I'll get you guys to the end of this season, but after that, I am out of here. But in the meantime, he did nearly... Drag them to a win over Cologne. Um, he had 21 for Munsland. And yeah, for as much um for as much spread of size as Munsterland have generally had with their lineups, not much spread of size will do a great deal of anything against Balut Kodal, unless you can spread your size vertically. If you could like daisy chain everybody together and then get them to do a handstand. If but, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, Cologne had Robin Pogenvich back, who only played half the game. They did go very briefly with their three bigs, Robin and then Masida Chakia, as a um, very point-stacked lineup. And all their bigs had good games. Um, yeah. Kodal with 12. Uh, sorry, SL Shab off the bench with 15. Kodal with 12. Thomas Rye with just eight. Not his best game, but 
I think he's had a decent enough run where you don't see that as real cause for alarm currently. The um, X factor for Kelowna was Mustafa with 20 points on 10 of 15 shooting, which feels like more points or shots than he's made in all of his games combined up to this point in the season. He had a good one a couple of weeks ago, but he's been he's been trending upwards right on time for us to play them in EuroLeague. And he's at, and he's in Istanbul as well, where he's going to have his um his all his Turkish energy infused. He's half Turkish, isn't he? I don't know. I think uh, I I don't know about the half or whatever, but yeah, he's Tur- Turkish to some extent. Anyway, um, yeah. I remember being at a friendly tournament against with the GB Juniors, I think, and the Dutch men were there, but it was full of uh, like the town had a massive Turkish population who were there cheering on the Turkish men. And Mustafa was just like, it was like these Turkish guys in the crowd who were jeering him because they were pro-Turkey and he was playing for the Netherlands and it was like pouring Red Bull down his throat. He was like, hey, this energy is manic and fierce and it brings out the best in me, even though that's exactly what they're not trying to do. So I was I was thinking about this, the fact that I'm playing in Galatasaray next year, like, I mean, next week. Next year? Uh, have you got, got an announcement to make? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um <laughs> They don't want me. Um, no, I, I, the fact that last year I was saying I was pretty lucky because my um, Euro Cup rounds went Bilbao, Turingen, Cantu. I'm like, that's a pretty good run of home crowds to play against or for in the first round. And But going to Galatasaray is yeah. is also very exciting. Daunting, I think, is the word. I've I've lucked out in terms of that. When you think of some of the random places people end up for Euro Cups and stuff, like <laughs> in my time in Sheffield, I did Sheffield twice and Grenoble. Yeah, <laughs> it, I I occasionally look at those runs of stuff you've had and think about the fact that I in my like past round of Euro Cups, I've done Sheffield home like four times and been to that godforsaken place in Vienna where um. Sitting Bulls play. I think I've been there three times and was scheduled to go a fourth time before COVID shut everything down. Um, uh, yeah, desperate times, but yeah, Istanbul should be cool. And this Cologne team, who you're going to be coaching against in that's not true. We have a coach. Oh, have you got a coach? You got Pat, our coach. Oh, has he made it? He's coming. Oh man, I was hoping you were going to hit the um, the break glass in case of emergency and slam the button to get me on a, a Concorde flight out. Sorry, if I was flying you anywhere, it would be flying you to Bilbao to bring me my wheels. But instead, <laughs> I'm flying to somewhere else to go and pick them up. Well, you could have flown me to Istanbul and I could have dropped the wheels off and coached you guys. And it would have been great for me specifically because I would have had very little investment. You would have hated um, it. You would have been like, what is these guys' problem? <laughs> um, so you're not coaching. So that's a development. So do you now look at this Cologne team that confounds you and be like, oh, well, at least scheming against them isn't really my problem anymore? Oh, it absolutely will be. I make things my problem. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been watching all three Euro Cup teams we're playing against and being like, right, what is going on? Yeah. To, to be fair, I'd have Le Canet, Galatasaray, and Cologne. Cologne are the team that makes most sense to me in terms of how they play. <laughs> like maybe don't have the talent of a Galatasaray, but like at least it looks like other teams look most of the time. A very, very valid point. Um yeah, I think they've shown themselves to be only good enough, I would say. I think they'll. I don't see them giving any of the teams at your Euro Cup round 
a real tough time unless you know they're just stylistically weird enough that it takes a quarter or two to work them out. But the Ring Bullet Corral is going to have like a good two to three quarters against someone. Yeah, possibly. Can you, I, I'm sweating for him, imagining him against the Lecane press is the only thing. Um, yeah, I, I, if I had to choose which team he would would have a good one against, I don't know if Lecane is there. <laughs> yeah, I think um, not a huge amount on this one because it's obviously relatively low in the standings, but Cologne have at least since a couple of slip-ups early in the year, they seem to have righted the ship and taken care of business against the lower-seeded teams, which you have to at the least give them credit for that, even if it doesn't make you entirely convinced of them going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they're they're going to be going to be a not an easy game for anybody other than like the top teams of Germany. But they're I just don't see them having it, even with a slightly reconfigured choice of lineup. I don't see them being any better than you know. Wiesbaden, Hanover, Trier, whoever's in that mid pack of the um of the German league, and no. yeah, Munsterland twenty one for Julian Lammering, nineteen for Zoran Muller, twelve for Maxi Lammering, but yeah, Munsterland just not got the size against Cologne, and size is usually what they try and make their bones on against most teams in that kind of tier. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they they are vulnerable to giants, but. I think they got a decent offensive game going by their their standards so far this season. But yeah, as you alluded to, if um if the time for Munsterland to descend isn't coming at the end of this season, it almost certainly will given the um the Julian Lammering see you later. It'd be funny if they managed to just sign someone massive because Julian Lammering was I think they're mostly an amateur team though, so probably not. Yeah. No, it would be cool. I would enjoy that. Yeah. Um It'd be funny if it was like if we could just pick a guy to plug into that team, but it was just like one of our, one of our Luke Walton all stars, just one of our guys <laughs> that we like for weird yeah, reasons. Yeah. I, I got started on that team. I think I spoke to you and Mendel about, um, which is just like the guys I'm too high on all stars, which just people I like more than the general consensus does. And yeah. it very quickly led me to realize why I'm always so heavily pro Thuringen in everything that we ever try and predict because I got Sayari, Alex Buddha as like two guys I'm definitely way, maybe not too high on, but like much higher on than the consensus. And then my next three were like Len, were Linden, Jens, and Kalis Podniak. So I was like, ah, three Thuringen Bulls guys. That's why. I, I over-index so badly, but I yeah, stick but with we it. were talking about we were talking about Lyndon at camp a couple of weeks ago, and like someone was like, you know, like he's this, that, and the other, and like anyone, like the older guys were like, yeah, like might have been the best player in the world before he retired. Like, what are we talking about? Like, point for point, unbelievable, yeah. and it's sad because there's just no video kicking around, like publicly available, easy to find, of like them back in the day, Swedish national teams or whatever, but like unbelievable still. Yeah, Just yeah. Swiss Army knife gives whatever like takes whatever you give him. Like you'll not jump him and he'll go like ten for fifteen from like fifteen footers. Or like if he's not going from outside, he's like such a slasher. He's a foot taller than Netflix than you like feel yeah. like he is. That's the, that's the game I it's the game I remember from this season as the quintessential Joachim Linden game when um 
V Spartan will like her, we'll just jump in with our guards and then we'll get them, we'll try not to cover and we'll just get our guards to stick with him. And he's like, oh, how about I get, you know, one dribble off Jim Palmer or Nico Drymuller's chair and just use the fact that I'm taller than both of them stacked on top of each other. I think he had 29 in that game. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is just what he does against the third or fourth best team in Germany. And it's like, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say he's big and I wouldn't say X bar Z person is that small. But then you're like, no, no, no he can push these guys up comfortably. It's really, it's just such a, like, it's like such a weird, like, tweener. It's great. It's, yeah. Love it. Shall we? Um, got a couple of things to cover. We're going to have a look at the Euro Cup groups, but shall we briefly touch on um, AOZ results and the now complete reportage groups? Yes. Everyone who you try and talk to about that tournament has a different way of pronouncing the word reportage or however you meant to say it. I assume it's French. Yeah. yeah. The, the re-fishing. Yeah. <laughs> in um, Spanish, they call it repesca, and yeah. pescar is to fish. So yeah, it's yeah. literally the idea of putting things into a pool and pulling them back out. Like, um, um, it's like throwing fish back into the water to fish for them again. Um, <laughs> which seems inhumane, but um, seems inhumane to make someone go and try and qualify for a Paralympics in April. But you know, yeah, it's a little, little but, you know, we only have eight teams in the Paralympics now because. Insert um, insert issue here. So, um, but yeah, um, the big news was we got uh we got Iran and Japan in the semi final, and Iran won that game by fifteen, um, despite having only scored two points in the second quarter of the game, which I, which I is insane. Can't get my head around. Uh, so they booted Japan from the further qualifications altogether. Um. They then moved on to final against Australia, who I think beat Korea in a very close game. Um, you'll have to correct. I think it was Australia by five over Korea, but it was tied after three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, we got Australia Iran, which speaking of rock fights, this thing was an absolute bloodbath for basically the entire game, and it felt like neither team really got on a run. Um, of more than about six points at any stage, but Australia looked to have obviously Iran in their um, efforts at the last World Championships only lost against uh, GB and the USA throughout, who were the two teams who finished above them. So you could make the argument that they're, given their style of play and the guys they roll out there to make it happen, mobile teams are more there kryptonite but yeah for sure given that given that we've seen them beat japan twice that theory seemed to be up for debate at the very least um mobile teams that also have a bit of size and a bit of scoring yeah like (laughs) mobile teams that aren't sort of really on the way down on the other side elite teams is what is what yeah Um, yeah but you're talking like if yeah teams really quick and like good defensively and can also score they're probably one of the best teams in the world as you say like yeah um but yeah australia kind of split the difference on not going full press but picking them up way way above the three point yeah they went like two up for a lot of the game like they were like i kind of talk about it like the turingen press that they used to run with like jake and matt where they'd be like two up kind of annoying the ball but not really like not stopping anyone just slowing them down yeah, and letting those three kind of through to set up the half court 
Australia is such that there's generally only ever Iran's lows on the blocks because um, they play Abedi in the middle quite a lot. And they basically took the gamble that they could defend hard enough on those guys to stop the blocks ever getting to the edge of the key. Mm-hmm. And there were so many Iran possessions where the guy who was setting the screen was already like three chair lengths out. And then you're trying to line up to shoot over the top of that. So by the time you're actually shooting an open shot, you're about 19 or 20 feet. Which, as you say, Iran can make, but they certainly didn't consistently in this game. And it is, if you watch about the overall takeaways, that Iran's shots were just really tough, even by their standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, That's the thing, so- like, you have to just, like, there's a bit of just hoping that they don't go nuts, even if you push yeah. screens out. Like, you're pushing screens off the block for guys that want to shoot threes anyway, but... Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely it. And, yeah, Australia managed to... Iran got desperate and Hadi Azar made a couple of threes. Um, Iran's bench was actually what kept them in the game, which I don't think anyone really saw that coming. And then Bill Latham nailed a couple of free throws to carry it over the um, over the edge for Australia. Iran got a, a post up twenty one foot shot away at the end of the game, but it wasn't from. It's mad to say that it wasn't a post up twenty one foot for either of the guys they would have liked to have been shooting that shot, but yeah. They're, um, it's, mad they're that, it's mad that there's a team that has two of those guys, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they got the shot away. And yeah, Australia, after a few years of mediocrity, at least by their standards, um, if being the reigning bronze medalists twice and sending them to further qualification isn't a statement win that Australia are here to be taken seriously, I don't really know what would be short of a, a win over either GB or the USA, which obviously wasn't going to happen at the Asia qualifiers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that was um Shout out AOZ... Australia for doing the damn thing. Yeah, that was the AOZ wrap up in short order. So we got four teams confirmed for the repercharge and um going in sorry, we've got four teams confirmed for Paris. We've got eight teams going to repercharge. So group A, Canada, Netherlands, Iran, France, group the, B the, the better group. Yeah. Group B. Colombia, Germany, Morocco, Italy. Um, Although we spoke to Mendel about this. I think I've spoken to a couple of other people about this as well, that strangely, because four teams qualify, so all you have to do is everyone comes out of the group, there are quarterfinals, and all you have to do is win one game. You would much rather be in the tougher of the two groups and have a potentially easier crossover. There's obviously drawback to that, where if you finish bottom of the tougher group and you play like a Germany or an Italy Maybe you're gonna have a tough time, but I don't know. Like I'd still much rather that than cross over into any of the other I don't know if you're Germany or Italy, Morocco or Colombia, you're thinking ah, if we top this group we might cross over against France and I fancy our chances, but yeah. that's assuming Canada, Netherlands, Iran are top three, but I don't know. Maybe perhaps are better than Well, we uh, we asked people what their takes on the the group was. Um Netherlands and Iran were so far universal picks to advance, which I don't think is too surprising. People really couldn't decide. Um, there was not a single vote for Canada, which I thought there would be at least a reputational vote or two in there. Um, we got yeah, like Canada are definitely good enough to beat a team in a crossover. Canada are good enough to win one game. <laughs> That's what. If that's all it's going to come down to, if they can lose all three of their pool games and then catch Italy in the um, 
cross over, they are capable of beating them. They beat. Them. I don't. I maybe don't fancy them against Germany, but I think any of the other three. Although Germany have also, did, kind of buckled Canada, to pressure before. Didn't Canada beat Germany last summer in one of the opening games of the World? Um, no, they're not. I thought they did. I don't. They played, but I think Germany won by fifteen-ish. I'm almost. I don't remember. I don't. I'm not going to look for those stats now, but I'm almost certain there was a. Um, there was a Canada upset over Germany. But yeah, a um, couple of votes for France to go through. People were really split on Italy or Colombia. And I initially thought that that seemed an obvious Italy win because they've got more reputation and they've like beaten Germany and whoever a few times to vault themselves into the top four in Europe. But then I remembered Colombia made it all the way to the final of the America's Cup. So maybe I was counting them out because I don't see them as often. Oh, um, and is John Hernandez the like yeah. can John Hernandez be the best player in that game? Not like AC, but like can he be? Yeah, I'm sure there's a reasonable case that might happen. Yes. Um so yeah, Italy, Colombia seemed to be what divided most of the people who voted on this, which I found very interesting. And ultimately I think that paints the picture that there is probably no way by the time we get to an eight-team field for the Paralympics decided, I don't think there will be a weak team anywhere because the only team I would brand as weak in the repertoire is Morocco, and I don't see them stealing a win over anybody, realistically. No. Um, so, yeah, um, it's going to be an eight-team field, and it's going to be tough in all directions, which is maybe maybe I'm giving them too much credit when I say that was their intentions when they cut it from 12 teams to eight, but... I don't think they cut it from 12 teams to eight. I think the Paralympics can yeah, cut them no, from 12 teams to eight. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm so, saying maybe I'm giving the Paralympic Committee too much credit, being like, we're just going to strengthen the field, but maybe it's kind of a happy accident that we don't have to watch Morocco and South Korea battle it out for 11th and 12th place. Yeah, maybe. Also, Germany in World Championships, Germany 65, Canada 52. Okay, my bad. I said about 15 and it was 13, so I'll take it. Good find. Um, Do you have anything else on Repercharge or shall we have a sneak peek at Euro Cups? Uh, Women's side of the Repercharge, very quickly. Um, We have um, Group A, Germany, Thailand, Australia, Algeria, Group B, Spain, France, Canada, Japan. What are your calls? Uh, well, Canada are currently without a head coach, so... I think, uh, head um, coach, head coach, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually exactly what the um, the post advertising the job had those exact words on. Yes. Um, but yeah, well, I, they're head coach and they probably are with the best player in any of these teams. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to pick Canada because, I, as we've covered on this podcast before, I believe in them borderline unconditionally. Um, I believe in them this far. Like I believe in them to qualify for the Paralympics. Yeah. And then when they get there, I don't know. I call them to get to a quarterfinal, and then God knows. But um, I'll go Canada, Germany for sure, um, and then maybe Australia, Spain. Yeah, I kind of can pick. Japan any might two. be a game, but I can pick any two of Spain, Australia, Japan. I don't think I think Spain have been on a little bit of a run in the past tournaments that would put them. Just a nose ahead of those other teams, but yeah, Australia. So that those three teams all were in that weird group uh, in Worlds that was just like there was a point where like there was a game that if Team A won 
or lost and depending on another game they were either second in the group or out <laughs> which is yeah, don't make me think about that group again i had to live it during the um paralympics and i had to read it again when we had KD on here semi recently and it hurts my head every time i look at how the points difference shook out yeah but yeah i think um I would give the edge to Spain there and probably Australia sneaking in as the fourth team, although I don't think I'm enormously convinced by either Australia or Japan's women's teams based on what we've seen at the AOZ. No. Um, but as we saw in the groups with the Paralympics last year, those teams that you don't expect a lot of can occasionally seriously muck stuff up. So yeah, don't, ca- don't count either of those teams sneaking in as fourth place as just being a first round and out when it comes to the actual bulk of the competition yeah all right should we talk about some EuroLeague let's do it all right so very quickly we're going to run through the um the Champions Cup groups for a start and then we'll probably run through the rest of them because Euro Cup groups are also now on the same weekend which always made sense to me but this um, is a a change because it used to be that Champs Cup had like a round to themselves like a month before everything else. Yes. And then all the lower all the lower down ones kind of fed in at the same weekend where the Champs Cup was doing their quarterfinals. But they're mixing the structure up here, presumably to make travel easier for the teams that make it through to the quarterfinals. And then that weird slot where if you finish like third in each quarterfinal group, I think you then drop to the Euro Cup one finals. It was a yeah. really strange. Which is what we did. Like, um, I remember us winning our um, group stage and being like, we should have just come third in this and gone straight <laughs> to Euro League one. <laughs> and then Same. I think we we like had a chance to maybe make final four. We only lost to Thuringen by a handful, but it was like, I joked about it all that time. Like our coach was like, flips it. Like, what? Could have saved ourselves a weekend. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. So, so yeah, there's three Champs Cup groups going on and two um, two Euro League One groups going on. Uh, before we get into the meat of any of this thing, uh, one thing I saw was the Fenerbahce wheelchair team posted their game schedule and it was somebody the, there was one comment on this thing on their instagram that was obviously just some fenerbahce able-bodied basketball team fan who was like why in the hell are our team playing four games in two days they're going to injure themselves and also why have i never heard of any of these teams it's like yeah you've just come to the wrong page <laughs> i promise you the fenerbahce euro league team are not playing against either Sheffield Steelers or Manchester Revolution. <laughs> like No. It's like, hey, you... welcome aboard. Yes, I agree. Three yeah. four games in two days is mental. Um, Imagine if like someone finding it by accident and making that point made the the sport have a, have a look at itself. I, I just I found it hilarious that he'd obviously found his way to the wrong page and was like outraged enough to leave that comment, but didn't stop to consider that he definitely never heard of any of the three teams they were meant to be taking on. Um, yeah, something's wrong, and it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. So, talking about Turkish wheelchair basketball, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we are Group A in Champions Cup. We've had a team dropout, which is nice in terms of scheduling. So it's us, Bilbao, um, Lecane, uh, Cologne, and Galatasaray. So pretty hectic. Yep. Good luck. 
Um, uh, yeah, it's gonna be gonna be wild. Um, it's gonna be good fun. Like there isn't a really bad team that you kind of have to deal with at some point. Like every time you play, there's a team that kind of yeah. is up there to try and scrape through to a different round. This is also similar to what we saw with Portadores last year when they ended up going to a group that only had four teams. Um, this scenario means everybody qualifies for at least something. So I actually, I sometimes think with some of that stuff, it makes like the underdog teams a little bit more dangerous because they're not playing with any pressure of, like, say Cologne, who was it meant to be in your fifth spot? It was one of the Israeli teams, wasn't it? Um, I think so. Mm. But they... Whatever. I think if you're Cologne, you like want to score a win over them to secure second from last and qualify for like Euro Cup two. You're sweating about that game the whole time. Yeah, and then you're sweating about not like losing out on you know if you're one of the above teams and you've you know gone around in circles, you're then like okay, we've lost one to Galatas, right, and we beat like an ace, and we're all in a three way tie. We can't screw this game up. That's game four in forty eight hours against Cologne. And I think the four-team setup just makes everybody slightly more free. Um, is probably yeah. the easiest way to put it. And, and also, I, you're not absolutely killing yourself playing four games in two days, like that fan said. Yeah, there is that. Um, that said, I typically will go out of my way and against my guiding reason to support you in all things you do, especially verbally, and then I'll give you a hard time about it once we stop recording but thank you you've got galatasaray at 8 p.m ish on the first day after you hell yeah kind of that morning, so. i'm gonna go ahead and chalk that one up as a build out loss please don't oh. take that personally ah, i think we'll do them um <laughs> i don't know would you say, um, would you say otherwise if you didn't think so uh yeah uh well no i wouldn't be i'd be like oh i don't know about that one but feel pretty good about it. What I feel better about is that Galatasaray and Lekane is the last game of the tournament, and that's appointment viewing, and yeah, I will be done by then. That's going to be a great time to be alive. Um, so yeah, four spots for this. Top two go through to Champs Cup quarterfinals. Third goes to Euro Cup 1. Fourth goes to Euro Cup 2. Are you picking an order of four? Uh, us, Galatasaray, Le Canet, um, Cologne. Uh, I think the most inter interchangeable of those two is probably us or Galatasaray. Uh, Le Canet can beat, I think Le Canet just play hard enough and fast enough that it can take anyone by surprise. Like we just about scraped through playing them here last year. Um, yeah, I, I have a worry about Lacané that I don't know if I'm right on this or not. I don't know how I would establish whether I was, but I feel like they've played so fast and ludicrously physically for so long. I almost think that element of them has been taken a bit for granted or become like a bit of a running joke. And then you, actually, oh man, no, you feel like you've been hit by a truck when you're playing you them. Play them and then you're like, oh, right, this, <laughs> I know I watched them do this to other teams. I never really stopped to think what it would feel like to have to. Also, I just it. remembered us, Galatasaray, and Lekane all were in the same group last year in yeah, okay. both our qualifiers and then in your league one again. Like none of us <laughs> should have bothered. Um, you should, um, to be fair, though, if it's gone for you guys this year and Galatasaray, sorry, you guys last year, Galatasaray this year, 
that means you should be headed to Monaco this time next year. So Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Um Yeah, no, I remember talking to because there was a point that the they were Galatasaray and like and I were in the other group in the Euroleague one finals and we were talking about who we'd rather play and I think generally people were like no nah, we've beaten like an A I feel good about that and I'm like oh my god we beat them by like three and it was horrible yeah. like what do you <laughs> that does not mean that we're good <laughs> like I didn't yeah, that... want to go through that again um, that's like that's like saying like, oh well I took this particular method of torture for 40 minutes once and I'm still alive therefore I can survive it again <laughs> it's yeah. like well you could but hey yeah well yeah I got the teeth out so <laughs> 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 it's just like just like flying around after match act like he's JJ Redding and JJ Reddick in his prime, just like what is yeah. going on? Yeah, but yeah, um, um they are very good, uh very big. They can go four big at match act, which seems wrong, but it's because they've got like a two and a two five that are both bigger than our biggest player. <laughs> like this is um the Galatasaray footage has been hard to come by for most of this season, but I think you've watched pretty much the... There's only really one game of their current team on YouTube. Is me. Made easier by the fact you can just watch the Iranian men's team and it's mostly those guys, but... Um... Or the Turkish national team from London. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what you think stylistically, but Galatasaray seem... Their biggest trap they fall into seems to be that they have a lot of guys who are long-tenured and particularly a lot of guys who are long-tenured and Turkish. And you watch that Izmir game and they play their starters, which is like Chem, Ferry, whoever else, for a good chunk of the game. Um, and it's like even after a quarter and a half. And then yeah, it's like 26-26 oh, at one point. And you're like, ah, Sayari's on the bench. It's like, oh, we'll put Sayari and Abedi in and we'll see what happens. And yeah, they're... Um, if they get ruthless with their lineup choices, they're going to be as tough as anybody all, all year that you'll see in Europe, I think. I just yeah. don't know, don't know yeah. if they'll really send the Turkish guys to the bench. Um, yeah. I'm very interested because last year when we played them, uh, Papi had 46, and I'd be interested to see if they like jump him in the car park on the way into the game. Yeah. Like, how, how he, Obviously, they weren't as strong. They had Osgur and uh, Piot, who are obviously capable of carrying any game but not so much four games in a two-day span um at the age they're at now but how much do you see see yourselves on the level with galatasaray this year or do you think they're do you think either team is notably better than the other on paper or do you think it's coin flip each game um no i think one of our things is gonna be like League lineups that don't translate to, yeah, um, Champions Cup. Uh so still like figuring that stuff out. We like we. It's not like we're like, oh god, yeah, I need to do that. Like we've been thinking about it, but don't know until you get there. Um, but we have we have the talent and the sort of framework to beat most teams kicking about. Like if we if we we've lost twice, but like we've been in a game with pretty good teams this year already um uh when you say the frameworks to beat most teams is this you demoing pat's new nickname of the framework no um yeah obviously like it's also fun that two of the three teams we're playing against pat has played for so it's fun referring to it as a pat revenge tour 
um, <laughs> even though that's not real. But he'll be on, he'll be on to Lacane as well in a year's time. He'll be like, yo, I've said I'm having my last club season. However, this team hangs out in Monaco. This yeah, I wanted I wanted to come here for a bit of sun, and I didn't get any. Although it's really nice right now, but um, yeah, no, a it's tough, man. That's gonna be that's gonna be a scrap. But I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of scraps, shall we do group? <laughs> Speaking of absolute scrap, should we do your league three? No. Uh, <laughs> right, no. Uh, yeah. Speaking of scraps, should we do group B? Yeah, I would like to, before we get fully started, I would like to pour one out for CSMO, who are a proud historical wheelchair basketball program who, for the second year in a row, have ended up as the despite the fact they would probably be the second best team in Group C of Champs Cup, they've ended up in Group B, which is their second straight year of Group of Death, where they, yeah. I think last year it was... Yeah, last year they were saved only by the fact that the Sitting Bulls were there um, hosting. And yeah, last year they got Lunion, Landil, and San Stefano. This year... They've got Landil, Gran Canaria, San Stefano, and Cantu, who uh, Cantu just beat San Stefano by double figures in the Italian league, and Cantu look absolutely lethal. Um, yeah. Man, can I just say, I have a couple of issues with group making and scheduling. Yep. So last year, there was a Gran Canaria, Porto Torres, Ilan Ramat Gam, um, Hamburg group? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's absurd. Did you know that off the top of your head? Yeah, that's hideous. Uh, there was a fifth. T- maybe there wasn't even a fifteenth. Fifteen. So that's my issue. Like, but they didn't go. What's there? There was meant to be a fifth team in there, but they didn't go. I think yeah. So we had that. Meanwhile, our group was Galatasaray, Lecane, us. Um, that other group that you just mentioned. Same thing happened again. This group C. While all those teams are in there, Group C is Illunion. <laughs> And then it's Hamburg, Porto Torres, Sitting Bulls, and Lanyon. Mm-hmm. Like, Hamburg. Hamburg. I know it's meant to be random, and I'm sure it is, but it's like, I wonder if, like, a slight seeding, I don't know, just like every year there's, like, a weird group, and it just means that, like, Hamburg are going to have to go to EuroLeague 1 and play really good teams and while being in the second division in Germany. Um, also, game of the weekend, probably Cantu Landil without looking. Okay, you probably uh, looked, but yeah, 11 15 on Saturday morning, <laughs> Saturday night. Like, I'll make it easy for you <laughs> Friday night or Saturday night. Put it on, even the slot before it goes 6 p.m. either day. It's fine. Yeah. Um, oh my god, just bizarre. Um, although, hold on, I might not be playing at that time, so that might be ideal for me. Especially considering... Cantu. Oh, hell yeah. You know, I'm not playing. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Good good lads. I'm not playing. And it's, in our group, it's Galatasaray and Cologne, which I care about less than Cantu, Landil. So, yeah, never mind. Good looking out, IWBF. I appreciate you. Although it does mean that I'm not going to be able to watch Porto Torres versus Sitting Bulls. So, yeah, you know, swings and roundabouts. Counting them all. Um, you've referenced Group C there, so I think we're going to go Illunion to win that group, and I'm going to call Porto Torres sneaking into the Champions Cup um, quarterfinals for the second straight year. 
on the back of Liz- uh, Piotr Lezinski and Roberto Mena being able to get buckets against terrible teams. Yeah, um, just old guys that can make bad shots. Yeah, no young guys that can get you good shots, but a lot of bad guys that like old guys that make bad shots. Yeah, that's... although like if you're Piotr Lezinski, there's no bad shots. Like exactly that. Um, I'm not going to give Group C any more analysis because it doesn't deserve it. Um, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, we are. We're going to see, I mean, presumably we're going to see Landil and Cantu finish top two in some order, but... Who do you think wins that game? My, having caught a little bit of Cantu, my take with them is they've got lots of pieces, but they their main inside threat is Filippo Carasino, who is a not small, but certainly not big 3-5. Um, he's pretty big, man. He's big, but I, I don't know. Going in against Gunther and Rio and like even Mendel is just... Oh, yeah, he's not not like a strong guy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I watched I watched them most recently, and I was like, man, if, like, if we were to make an incredibly apples-to-apples semi-ignorant comparison, if they could swap their little amp 3-5 out for like Jorge Salazar as their inside guy, I think that would then nudge them in the right direction, but they've you know maybe they'll see if he wants to swap teams mid-tournament i don't know um a bit of like needing like a dimaggio on the block every so often isn't it like it's a little weird in that regard yeah they um, they go like four five three three fives and um, batswell don't they yeah which is ridiculous they have some like interesting more midsy lineups but i'm gonna call Cantu to upset landil just because I would, this is incredibly um, simplistic. I think Cantu are going to have more stuff up their sleeves for game one than Landil have. And then I think were they to play each other again or were Cantu to get through into the quarterfinals and be up against more legit teams, I think they'll get found out. But I think they've got a little bit more element of surprise than Landil have. Um, And also I think it'd be interesting to see it pan out that way because I love I love a sneaky upset game. So I think Landil are the better team, but I think Cantu might sneak this first game if they're ready for it come that Saturday morning at 11.15 for the showcase game of the weekend. Interesting, yeah. Who who gets out of bed earlier? Um, <laughs> but no, that is... I'm kind of with Landil slowly talking myself over to calling Cantu, but like I'd start with Landil in my head. Like... I think they're well. They just have been the better team for a handful of years, but also Steve Serio. Like Steve Serio, Steve Serio might be the best player of all time. Might be the second best player of all time. Might be the third best player. Like Steve yeah. Serio has won everything a handful of times. So you are correct. Um, key question with this group is: I'm going to write Mo off in causing an upset because. I think they're perfectly competent, but probably not going to catch either Cantu or Landil. No, they shouldn't. Um, do either Santa Stefano or Gran Canaria have the juice for stealing an all-time win to crack the the final eight of Europe? Um, it'd be funny if one of them stole the game, but then lost against the other team that we were just talking about, so it didn't matter. Um, but can't see it. Santa Stefano kind of are playing a little bit more mid-Z and they're playing 
Raimondi more this year and I don't know that's like if that's like out of necessity or whatever but I don't I don't see it like Grand Canaria but it's like can either of these teams withstand Katie going for 40 probably like can either of these teams are both of these teams really well equipped to be like hey Katie gets nothing yeah yeah like I don't know Mono yeah, Katie's gonna I'm... shoot 20 times and half of them are gonna go in at a minimum, yeah. but like my my argument would be we have seen can we've seen Gran Canaria push both you guys and Ilunion to like single figures late in the game. Um and they're going up against teams who like I'm not doubting any of these teams will be doing their scouting, but they're going up against teams that don't know them that well. Um, yeah. And that's um, the I don't know. Like I think these teams all do their homework. Yeah, I, well, no, no, I know no. Landil do their homework. I don't know about Cantu, but I imagine I, so. These teams do their homework, but I think there is a difference between doing your homework to go and play them once versus having played them gradually as they've iterated their team and their style of play and added pieces here and pieces that are, I think you can't replicate that built up like corporate knowledge that. Yeah, doing your homework versus playing them three times a year yeah. for five years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Although, like Mendel played for Grand Canaria and they don't really do anything that different. True that. Um, but yeah, I think that these scenarios and these one-off games, I think, generally give the underdog a little bit of a chance. And mm -hmm. I mean, would you be stunned if we saw a Grand Canaria stealing a game off of Cantu, for example? No, like, Giddy uh, has the chance to beat Giddy or Alexi Ramone could both have, or could one or the other could have a 40 and that yeah. can win you a game. Like, Either of those guys could go nuts for a game and that makes a difference. I would take them, if I had to pick them to upset one, I would pick them to upset Cantu because I think oh, sorry, my Alexa's piping up in the background. I don't know. <laughs> How did we make it through like an hour? We're, or two? we're talking about Ramanai. Um But yeah, um, I think Landil will probably kill Gran Canaria with size and I think with what we just spoke about with Cantu I don't think they're really equipped to take advantage of their relative lack of size. I mean, Salazar's going to be, he like spends his entire life punching up against bigger, heavier guys in Spain, right? He's going to feel like the playground bully when those two teams play each other. He's like, finally, I'm actually the biggest guy out here. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I I very much look forward to seeing him because I, I think it is not destined to happen, but. I certainly think there is a path where you can look at it and be like, yeah, this makes logical sense. Yeah, their appointment viewing. Yeah, absolutely. Like either way. All right. right. Um, my next question is uh, the Euro Cup one group A, a better group apart from Alunion than would any of the teams in Euro League one group A finish second in Champions Cup group C? Yeah, I think yes. probably, probably all four of them. So for That's people listening, that is Izmir, um, Wiesbaden, London Titans, and Hiaz. Great to see both Wiesbaden and Hiaz back in EuroCup, by the way. Wiesbaden, who are a wild card. They were meant to be in at three and then got bumped up. As are Hiaz, I think, because they've not been... Oh, they were... Sorry, they are in EuroCup two last year, excuse me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, good to see the EuroCup organisers using a bit of common sense and kind of realigning some of these groups to put the best teams in the top rather than making them earn it and in the name of earning it beat every other team by 50 to 70 points um yeah i think there is a reasonable argument all four of these teams would finish second place in, um 
the Champs Cup group seed, but so be it. We're, um, I don't really care about the level because I think this might be the best, the most clustered group that we're going to see this week. Yeah, I'm excited about it, man. It's going to be good. Like London, good team. Yeah. And Verano should win it. Maybe Izmir. I'd kind of lose track of which Turkish players are in which clubs. Well, we um, watched it. We watched Izmir running Galatasaray close, right? So we have to give them some credit. And also, yeah. we watched that here, Lacane game that went into overtime. And we're talking about Lacane potentially upsetting one of you guys or Galatasaray. So, yes, yeah, can't be that far behind. Um, yes, or on the um, on the Kitty Dandanao, they have a four or five that could have 40. Yeah. Thing. Like, yeah. And, um, the French kid, uh, Traoré, whatever is it, Traoré? Yeah, Mamadi Traoré, yeah. Yeah, um, he has come on leaps and bounds since he's been back in, in yeah. France by those things. So, And he's going to be a physical element that I think all of those other teams we've just mentioned are really going to struggle to match up against because he absolutely, that Lacané game we watched as a one-off to talk about Lacané, yes. Traore was sticking it to Lacane because there was nobody physical enough for him on that team. So, yeah. God help London Titans, Wiesbaden and Izmir on that front. I mean, Wiesbaden have been vulnerable to, you know, real inside bigs for a couple of years now. Um, no, um, also when you say him being back in France, do you mean from Mo? No, he went to Hamburg for a year in between. Ah, yes. Sorry, I thought I got you there. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm ready. Um, oh damn it but yeah no you're yeah. right um do you have do you have a call for these four because this one's going to be they play each other like pool games they play three games each and then they're doing by the looks of it like finals games. they're playing metal games which is so weird like the inconsistency yeah. like there's one round of the five that are metal games i'm not sure um, what's going on there but i it does make me excited to watch it so i'm i'm ultimately okay with it um i go rhinos one Ooh. It's tough, man. Is Gaz there for London? I think so. Uh, that makes a difference. A uh, bit of pedigree there. Um, legit, the other three could go anyway. Like, I keep being like Izmir, but then, nah, wasn't that convinced. How big yeah. of a lock do you think Wiesbaden are for number one? Um, If the rest of it's that close, it's not. I'd like, 60%, like I'm over halfway convinced. I think they're the best team, but also they're kind of, they play five guys all the time, one of which is a semi-retired <laughs> coach. Like it's it's Mikey Pay, like he's one of the best players of all time. Like that's not a disrespect, it's just like they Nico, play five guys. Nico Joancer of Fiers is also a semi-retired player coach, but he happens to just play 40 minutes and be like, hey, I'll take 30 shots a game. Yeah, um, um, that's the thing, like you look at every one of these teams, like Izmir, like there's every Turkish team is a four or five that can bury you for from nothing. Like London will show up with like Jack Perry and Gaz Chardry and like Gaz hasn't played a whole lot this year, but like that guy's killed people for years. Um, like there, there's like guys that will just put 40 on you top to bottom in here, which is exciting. It might not end up happening, but um, I say put 40 on you is just like my recipe for like upsetting another team is like, wow, this guy went nuts. Nothing we could do. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I'm trusting my gut on this one. I'm going here to win this group. Oh, I, wow. Okay. I'm not really sure why. Um, it just, I look at those four teams and something about Hiaz makes me, I trust them in very tough games more than these other three teams, maybe. 
Um, based on minimal evidence, I will admit, but something something about it has pointed me in that direction. And until I'm able to figure out why that isn't correct, I will treat it like it is. Sure. Okay. Okay. Last one. Oh so- wow. It's so funny to me that the first game that Sheffield or Manchester play in Group B of EuroLeague One is against each other. It's my favorite thing in the world. Like they go all that way to play against each other. Like they go to Hanover to play each other. Yeah, it's all. It's also funny that looking at this group, the opening game is Hanover Fenerbahce, and it's like I guarantee, like that's the most important game that's going to take place all weekend because yeah. That's one and two, isn't it? Winner of that one wins the group. (laughs) Everything else might be irrelevant after that. Um, Yeah, yeah, super strange group. Uh, Two teams. So Fenerbahce, Hanover, Sheffield, Steelers, Manchester Revolution, Pilatus Dragons, who I'm for all intents and purposes going to treat like they don't exist. Um, they is your lack dead. of knowledge. No, they've been dead to me since there was that Euro Cup game of theirs last year that finished 43 40 with whoever they were playing. And it's like, yeah, if I catch a second of one of their games by accident, I am going to be furious. Um, but pulling random grudges is a really good way to cut down the sort of load that we have on us here. I, <laughs> I like it. Um, but yeah, I think Hanover and Fenerbahce have the upper hand in this group by virtue of being two professional teams in um, a group of otherwise amateur teams. Sheffield and Manchester, I don't know if they've played each other in. We've not talked about the British. They have. Um, and yeah, bizarrely, the BWB league at the moment is like the strongest it's been in however long because each of the top four teams has like an either retired or just moved home like G- XGB or current GB player be like, hey, I'm just going to do on this club and I'll prop them up to the point of relevance. And they've now got like four or five teams that have that. Yeah, like the them. good old days. Like you've got yeah. George Bates, Marty Edwards, Gaz Chardery, Joe Beswick, just yeah. scrapping it out. Yeah, that's entirely it. Um, it's also not two teams either. Now it's four. Like, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, um, yeah I'm, I've not watched a great deal of fan about Chase since... They've obviously had a lot of turnover and they've gone with Uga Toprak and Ahmed Efetuk as kind of their main A lot guys. of turnovers in turning players over to Galatasaray. Yes. Um, and yeah, they probably aren't what they were last year when they just rumbled through Euro Cup 2. I don't think they're as deep, but they've got those guys. They've got Ibrahimi Morteza. They've got... Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Ibrahimi Abus. They're not short on guys who can put the ball in the basket and I would take them over Hanover just because I think they have more scoring power than Hanover do I think Hanover will probably muck the game up against them in a fairly effective fashion but yeah yeah man you're asking a lot of you're asking Sean Norris to run an offense as kind of the primary point guard against a team that can deploy three or four offensive hubs at any given stage and I think Fenerbahce will just outlast Hanover on that front um, yeah, I can see it. So I'm going in my ordering. I'm going Fenerbahce, Hanover, Manchester, Sheffield, Pilatus. Um, yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going to be wild, man. There's going to be so many games to watch that I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Um, if anyone has any child care tips to keep the child safe in an enclosed space where they can't bother me for two full days while I watch the TV, I would very I, much appreciate that. 
I did see a picture of someone who had like this was their baby was not walking yet, and it was um they got the, a cot and like turned it upside down on top of their baby, and they're like, "Well, I've been using this wrong. This is great. <laughs> Why did no one tell me?" But yeah, maybe it doesn't doesn't work when she's up and about. I would say. Yeah, it's um, it's my my current morning routine at the moment is like get up, get myself sorted. And then like stick the NBA on the TV and I'm like, I'll just catch this for like 10 minutes before she's awake. And the second I transfer from my day chair onto the sofa to watch the game for 10 minutes is like it hits an ejector seat in her cot and she's like, I'm ready to be up now. So I don't know how I'm going to manage like two full days of five rounds of basketball games. Just got to get her into it. Get a conditioner (laughs) to enjoy wheelchair basketball. Either I'm just going to buy you know, the thing from the end of the Dark Knight where they've got the um, uh, Morgan Freeman's character's got like the entire city on. Monitor they've hacked every mobile phone in the world. You know, in that 45 minutes of every Christopher Nolan movie that could be cut. You know <laughs> that bit. Um, I'm just going to buy that many phone screens and like just build a little wall of them, and I can kind of glance at the wall as I. Childcare via sonar. You heard it here first. <laughs> just teach her to return your clicks. <laughs> problem solved right Easy. can we get out of here yes cool all right uh, um, we will be back we're hitting record tomorrow with or by the time you guys are listening to this if you're a punctual listener we'll be hitting record today with oscar knight of amphi vigo so head on over to our instagram if you're there in time and ping any questions or topics that you want us to talk to oscar and we're super excited about talking to him because we still feel like we discovered him and shared him to the world because we'd never heard of him and then we were like yo check this guy out and now people know who he is yeah it's fun to watch as much basketball as we do i just be like what <laughs> what <laughs> but yeah all right cool uh thanks right. very much for listening guys and yeah talk to you next time peace